you want to open us in prayer, Pete? Sure. Father, thank you for this uh, time we have to share with one another and uh, learn more about uh, theology and, and the study of, of you and your relationship uh, with your creation, Lord. Uh, we're grateful for uh, being blessed with uh, having Dr. Snowberger and Dr. Combs here to help guide us as we learn and 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 uh, try to grow in our understanding. Lord, thank you for all the blessings that you've given us, and we ask that you would uh, grant us safety uh, when we depart this evening. And uh, we thank you in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, I have a confession. I did not make up your quiz, but I have a quiz made up. I had five minutes to to think about it. So I have, I've got five questions here for you. We didn't have too much to go through last time. So unfortunately, there's nothing to hand out here. So you're going to have to pull out some sort of a half sheet of paper or whatever it is. Or just, and we're not going to, not going to collect it. So yeah. you can just, you can think just through it. Yeah. Let's jot, jot some, jot some answers down on a blank back of one of your, one of your notes or something. So just so we can, Review it. Okay, so five questions. Okay. Number one, give me one word, a one word synonym for systematic when we're talking about systematic theology. You gotta tell us what synonym is. <laughs> Public school graduate here. <laughs> Another word for, for systematic. Remember, we talked to there's several bad ideas about systematic <laughs> theology. So, what, give me one word that means. Systematic, so jot that down. Number two, I said that there were two parts of any truth system. And there are two elements that you have to have in order to have a valid system of theology. They were in bold on your page. You can jot those down, talk about them. This is, this is, in, in order to, for a, System of theology, or 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 some statements of theology to be true. What are the two elements that have to be there? One's usually pretty easy. Okay, the other one's harder. And I lost one. Okay. How do you know something is true? Perhaps is another way of saying this. You told us so. <laughs> If you don't, if you don't have it, that's okay. We'll talk about it. So. I've got a true/false question. Number three: Scripture speaks to everything. True or false? Scripture speaks to everything. Number four: Another true/false question here. When we talk about dogmatic theology, we're talking about confident theology. Talking about what? Confident theology. Dogmatic theology. Confident theology. And then just take one minute and put down a definition of systematic theology. You're going to do that. <laughs> see, you're not taking this quiz. I see you're not taking this quiz. I'm not going to answer a single one of them. Give, just put down a short definition of what systematic theology is in your own words. Even the two one, I got to ask about. That's a tricky. Well, it could. I know what I would say, but I'll, it's not like a Bill Combs quest. It's truly false. If I had time, I could have made it easier. But give me thirty seconds, and then we'll, we'll talk about them. What was question two again? That was the two... Yeah, the two parts of a truth system. What are two things that have to be true, that have to be the case in order for something to be counted as true? That is just in, like logic. Well, no. well, yes and yes. I mean, when we're talking, I'm talking about Christian truth, okay. but all truth is Christian truth, so there's a, there's a sense in which... It's an, it, the answer is yes and yes, but perhaps think in terms of Christian truth, and that might help you make the decision. Two words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> He's got it in front of. I'm him. looking at the notes here. <laughs> okay, 
So let's go over these. Give me a synonym for systematic. Orderly. Okay. It is order. Hopefully we are doing something that's orderly. But remember we said that wasn't probably the, the term we mean when we talk about systematic. But hopefully it is orderly. Is dogmatic one of no. Philosophical. Okay. Yeah, I think we're we're we're, we're moving towards something like it's something it's organized. So it's kind of okay. Like orderly. Yeah, organized, methodical, oh, okay. orderly are probably that's what we often th- what, that's how, how how we often use the word systematic right. in yeah. in general <clears throat> conversation. Remember, we said that uh, the systematic means we're trying to build a comprehensive worldview mm-hmm. or a philosophy. Hence, the word system, a system mm-hmm. of truth. And so, so the idea of worldview or philosophy is probably something that we're looking for. But you said a synonym for, and down here you've got down um, theologies on page four. Alternatives to label systematic are okay. generally attempts. So that's why he said dogmatic. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. They're, I can they're, they're, they're sort of. They're sort right. I was I was looking at a and b the a and b points on that page. Yeah. It doesn't mean methodical or topical. Or yeah, you were thinking about a definition mandate. more than right. a label. Yeah. Right, so a philosophical structuring of truth into a framework or a worldview. Yeah. So I was thinking worldview, framework, so framework system, right. or philosophy. Yes, yeah, those, those would be, that's what we're looking for. Okay? When, when you do these little quizzes, they're going to be on what we the talked notes. about in here, not the reading? Not the reading, the notes. So that's why Pete wanted to know if I listened to the recording. okay so what are the two things we have to have in place in order for something to be accounted true in this class or really in any discipline but we're thinking probably specifically of Christian truth what two things have to be true yeah what do we mean by that coherence really is truth okay I, I put the, I put biblical authority, so we need a standard. Okay, so that would be correspondence. It has to. So, so whatever we whatever we say in here has to have some sort of correspondence in the Bible. Okay, so so yes, I put, uh, I put down non-contradicting. Yes, very good. Yeah, you you had the ideas. You didn't have the words, but you had the ideas. So coherence means that it has to agree with itself. Yeah, it fits together. So it agrees with the Bible what the Bible says, and it has to agree with itself. And that's often what we're trying to do here, because, you know, first thing we're going to say, okay, is there a proof text for what we're going to say in this class? Okay, that's that's our first line of defense. But sometimes we come across scriptures that, at least on the surface, seem to be saying contradictory things, and so the job that we're going to have to have in here in systematic theology is try to harmonize texts that seem to disagree, so that the statements of the, the statements we make agree with each other. Like, for instance, I, did, I don't know if we mentioned this last time. Like Paul says in Romans chapter four, uh, Abraham was justified by faith alone, and then James comes along and says that we know that Abraham was not justified by faith alone, but by works. Well, it looks like we've got a contradiction there, right? And so we can't have our system of theology saying contradictory things. So we're going to have to come at, come at this and say, okay, how do we harmonize these texts so that they're both true without contradicting one another? Okay, it's not the task, the class to actually provide that answer here, but but it's the kind of thing that we're so oftentimes going to have to do in this class, try and harmonize texts that, you know, perhaps at first blush don't 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 connect with each other. And you know, um, and, and I was thinking. So, so you would agree, you know we know that in, among our friends in evangelicalism, fundamentalism, whatever, a number of our friends, unfortunately, don't agree with this coherence exactly. situation. Now, Mark and I are familiar with Bob Jones University. I didn't go there, but uh, we think it's a pretty good school, but we didn't go there. 
but I've had a lot of conversations with Bible teachers there and so forth. And they sort of relish in the fact that the Bible doesn't have this correspondence. That is, they they argue, don't they? I mean, you know, I think of a, a number of teachers there who say, well, uh, all you need is the first one. Yeah. That is the first one. And you can have statements that you cannot harmonize, and that's okay. So God can say this is black, and God can say it's white in one place, and that's okay. We don't have to harmonize them, and we can harmonize them, right? which we feel is a big problem. Right. Like for a perhaps a classic example would be a statement that God is sovereign and man is sovereign. And there can only be one sovereign. Yeah. So it's got to be one or the other, or perhaps neither, but but it has to be, you can't be both. You can't, can't be both. But uh, oftentimes there, there'll be this idea, okay, I'm a biblicist. I've got Bible verses that say that God is sovereign. And I think I've got also got Bible verses that say I'm sovereign. And so therefore being a biblicist, I just say, I, I listen, I hear what the Bible says, and I believe both statements, even though they're contradictory, rather than trying to harmonize the two and, and, and come to a, 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 a credible solution to the problem. And, and to harmonize them, they say, is even dangerous. Yes. That's the sad part. They, they'll even say, well, that's dangerous to try to harmonize them. But what you're saying is to have a valid system of truth, you've got to be able to harmonize <clears throat> these things, right? Yes. Yeah. But could you explain some that it's a mystery that we don't yet comprehend? Because we can't comprehend God. But you can't have these con- things can't be in contradiction. Yeah, we, we, things we don't understand. In our in our reading, it, that it was saying that the fact that each major Christian doctrine ends up in mystery without yet without contradiction, I believe, is a witness to its truth because yeah. any alleged simple resolution or, or beware any alleged simple resolution of a major Christian truth. Kind of same idea. That's a mystery. It's speaking to same, same yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I was going to ask you. So, if you if you're if we're talking about secularist, uh, and there would they would they agree with these two? Well, there's actually. I mean, if, if you look at philosophy, if you look in philosophy, okay. they, as how, how how define truth? There's right. usually there's two two ways of defining truth: either coherence or correspondence, one or the other. There has to be a correspondence with reality. And a corresponds with reality. Correct. Okay. But our statement here is that it corresponds with what God says in the Word. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we would we would also affirm that that it corresponds with reality too, though, right? Yes, but sometimes we can be confused about what reality is. Mm-hmm. The other side's going to look at fossil records and say we're crazy. Right. They're going to say that doesn't correspond to the truth that they they think they see. Right? Yeah. Because our worldview really comes and decides what we think is real before we, you know, even, uh, so, yeah, you, you go to school, you learn about the fossil record, and, and you become convinced that reality has to be millions of years. It has to be because of the fossils. But, uh, but because uh, that corresponds with reality, but that, but that's not what we're doing here. We're not trying to correspond with reality. We're trying to correspond with what the Bible says. The Bible says it can't be millions of years. So now we've got to figure out. Now, so we're talking about a discipline outside the scriptures. Okay. So now, how are we going to understand the fossils? Well, I think we can by saying, okay, the scriptures give us some good answers and explanations as to how the fossil record may have accumulated it very, very rapidly, for instance. Okay. And so we're, we're making sense of what we see, but according to the biblical worldview. <clears throat> so the scriptures actually define what reality is. Okay. Okay, third question here. True or false, right? That was the next one, right? Scripture speaks to everything. Everything in specific or anything in... That was the loaded question. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <a> loaded question. <laughs> so is the yeah. key word to... No. 
The keyword is to, right? Yes. Rather than about. about. Rather than about. So yes. the keyword is to rather than about. Yeah. And so the answer is true. It doesn't speak about everything. I mean, we, we can't we can't open up our Bibles and find out, you know, how to do open heart surgery. So it doesn't speak about everything, but it does speak to it. It speaks to every discipline as, you know, it's, it used to be called the queen of the sciences, right? Okay. Because it is what makes all of the sciences possible and makes sense of them ultimately. So we should be able to reason from the Bible whether we should be allowed to do heart surgery or not. Yeah. Is it ethical or is it not ethical? We should be able to find that out from the scripture. Mm-hmm. It, or whether it just doesn't speak, you know. Okay. <clears throat> Number four. Dogmatic theology, true or false? Dogmatic theology means confident theology. Okay, so what does dogmatic theology mean? Mm. What does dogmatic theology mean? Overall. There can be dogmatic oh. theology and it's not correct. I mean, there's all kinds of dogmas in churches. Okay, what, what, yeah, so, okay, so you get, you hit the word here. What's, what's dogma? Suppose, you can't think of the words for it. Like, I hold to this. The teaching. Affirm. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. A dogma is the official teaching of a denomination or a, or, or, or some branch of the church. That's so, what I meant. It, 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 they think it encompasses everything. Yeah. Right. Right. Dogma. Right. Yeah, but so when we talk about dogmatic theology, typically when you pick up a dogmatic theology, you are it's it's going to have as its outline some document of the church. Like for instance in reformed theology, you often will find a systematic theology that is organized according to the Westminster Confession. It will have chapters that correspond to the Westminster Confession. That's the dogma of Reform Presbyterianism. So dogmatic theology used to be a common word and a good word. But now no one would call their theology dogmatic because dogma, you can't be dogmatic about anything, you know. Right. So you just don't want to use the word, but it, but it was meant to say, we, it was meant to say, we are assured of these things. It's dogmatic. Yes. Here's what we really know and here's what we're assured of. Right. So it was a good thing. Right. But right. today no one writes a new systematic and says, I'm running a dogmatic theology. Yeah. Sounds like it. Sounds like Trump wrote it. Or yeah, something. something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that changes. <laughs> yeah, but it's dogmatic. But <laughs> whatever. Wouldn't write it. Well, if he Trump said it, it's got to be true. <laughs> okay. Anybody want to give me their <clears throat> definition of systematic theology? No. <laughs> oh, I put because I. I think I used one of your little phrase, your phrase. I put a method for teasing out the scripture so that all interpretation is cohesive and unified. Okay. Okay. You certainly got the one half very well. Okay. It's a, it's, you're, 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 you're topically going through and finding out what the Bible has to say about a variety of topics. What was the second part of the definition? It sort of appeared in your definition. Okay. Both in inside and outside. Yes, very good. So it creates a system of thinking, a worldview that explains everything. Okay, so it speaks to everything. So, yes, so the two of you together, I think, got the two elements, I think, that I would want to see in a good definition of systematic theology. It's a a treatment of what the whole Bible says about a series of topics arranged in such a way that they actually explain more than what the scriptures themselves deal with directly. So very good. Okay? Next time I'll be a little more organized with the quiz. I... I, Slipped my mind. I, I I never give quizzes in my uh, in my classes, so it just it just slipped my mind. So. Oh, this was Ken's idea. <laughs> Actually, it was his idea. Makes for good discussion points. Yeah, it does. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Gives you a chance to review what we just went over, <clears throat> kind of clarify in our minds. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, and a statement I was going to make, I, 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 I have it in my little notes on the side here. Sometimes 
we have to say when we're at the end of the day after we've looked at all the material and we're looking for an answer to some question sometimes we have to say I don't know that's an acceptable thing to say it's a statement of humility that says I don't know the answer to your question I think what we what what tends to go wrong in systematic theology is when we say there is no answer for that because when we say there is no answer, well, it's usually a statement of pride because I can't figure out the answer. There must not be one, <laughs> right? Okay, but also suggests that there is a potential incoherence in the scripture that that the Bible does not match up with it. There, are, there are actually internal contradictions in the scripture. So, so you'll you'll hear me say at times, I don't know. I think that's a healthy thing to say occasionally when we're working through systematic theology. Not always, but sometimes we have to say that. But hopefully you won't hear me say there is no answer to that to that question. I think that would be the wrong way of uh, approaching it. Okay? Okay, so we are here on page six then, picking up in our notes where... We left off last night. Time and I need my Bible up. Sorry. Did we leave off on letter B? I think. Yes. Right? Yes. yes. Okay. And here's a here's a verse that I think sort of encapsulates what we just said. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. Secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. I think it's a, I think it's a very, very helpful verse to start out our discussion of systematic theology because there are certain things that God does not reveal to us. And there's some questions that we have that God doesn't give the answer to, and we have to say, I don't know, perhaps we'll know someday, but we don't know now. Okay. But whenever there's something that is revealed, it's ours to to descend upon and and learn as much as we can. Okay, it is a glory of kings, right? To seek a matter out. Okay, so that's that's what we want to do in here. We want to seek the matter out as thoroughly as we can. And if we have to, at the end of the day, say I don't know some piece of the information, some piece of the puzzle that I'd like to know. That's that's an acceptable thing to say, but we want to scour what has been revealed as much as we can because these things belong to us forever. Why? Because it's the source of our ethics. It tells us what we have to do, that we may do all the words of this law. So, then, uh, the aim of systematic theology, firstly, is to collect and to synthesize all of the biblical data regarding God into a coherent network of truth. So we're creating an outline of the whole of what the scriptures say about these basic concepts in scripture. Systematic theology operates from the assumption that the revelation of God in scripture is both true and congruent and can can be systematized. And so that's what we're doing. Systematic theology is both possible and it's necessary because God is rational and immutably so. What he says makes sense. He's not a, he's, he, this isn't a bunch of gobbledygook on the page. It's revelation, which, you know, the definition's right there. God intends this to reveal things about himself, not to conceal things about himself. It's there to reveal. So it's, God is an immutably rational God, and he's not capricious. He doesn't just throw in monkey wrenches and, and, and into, into, the, into the cogs here just to confuse us. Okay, He wants us to get it. And also, secondly, the, the character and the clear purpose of his revelation is that he wants us to discover it. So, so, so God is not making this a tease for us. He wants us to find the answers, and that's what we're, we're going we're going to go after aggressively. The alternative to systematic theology is what I call here discordant theology. 
a disharmonious collection of theological truth claims that the theologian, for one reason or another, decides he cannot and shouldn't or should not harmonize. And there's some reasons for that. Some people don't believe that the Bible is true. If you don't believe the Bible is true in all that it affirms, then we're not going to be able to have a systematic theology because it's not true. Some, I say here due to open or processed thought, that is that God is an evolving being, suggests that there is no permanent, permanent theological system. Okay, so truth can change from century to century. So what was true back when the Bible was written may not be true today. Well, we we reject that. Thirdly, because sometimes people have deficient views of human language and the nature of God, some suggest that systematic theology is outside the realm of the human mind. This is this is something that would be true of New Orthodoxy. Karl Barth, perhaps, is a name that you might be familiar with here. That God is so transcendent and so far out there, so he is that he can be illogical because he is he is super he's beyond the realm of our understanding. He is he is super illogical. He can't be contained, and words can't really communicate what we need to know about God. Okay, the words are best at best. You know these you know, these these historically devout people put together, cobbled <clears throat> together some of their experiences, their historical experiences and their and their religious experiences and cobbled them together and put and put it into this Bible. And as we read it, perhaps uh, we we get something of a shape of what God is like, but it's but it's not revelation. Well that's not true. Okay. The Bible is God's word to us and he invented language for the precise purpose of communicating with us. That's why he invented language, right? God created Adam and Eve speaking already. And the reason he did this is so that he could talk to them and tell them things, tell them what to do, tell them stuff about himself. That's the reason for human language. We call it we call it human language in, in, a, in a sense. And it, I mean, it's, it's the purview of humans, so only humans can speak. But ultimately, it's divine the idea of language is divine. Uh, this is not some, uh, now. If you're an evolutionist and you think language is something that uh, progressed from a series of grunts and groans and whistles and such, and 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 eventually took the form of, of words, well, then you might you might say, well, we <laughs> this isn't going to communicate God very well. But that's not how language comes to us, right? God invented language so that he could communicate with us. He created a medium whereby he could communicate successfully. Um, Perhaps it's a little bit philosophically thick to say it, but I think that's one of the most important things that is lost when uh, when uh, when we dabble with and accept evolutionary theory. I think that language as a as a as a as a product of God disappears. Okay. Others, number four, due to factors such as theological bias or a desire for Christian unity, false piety, will say that there's no system of theology possible. So, for instance, you know, I say here for if for the sake of Christian unity, you know, there's a there's a church over here who believes one thing, we believe another. And so rather than say one is right and one is wrong, we say, well, we should all get along. <laughs> okay. And, 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 we, and we bring it into our system of theology. We can't come up with an answer. There's, there's several answers to that question, and uh, any one of them might be right. Well, no, it's not true. You know, if, if answers contradict, only one of them's right. There's not multiple paths here. Okay. But sometimes... Uh, because of our desire to maintain unity, will actually shortchange our system of theology. Okay. So, others 
expressions of this aim of systematic theology are, are reflected here in some some key uh, theologians. J. Gresham Machen, of course, was one of the uh, uh, sort of a leading light in establishing uh, Westminster Theological Seminary during the late 20s and early 30s. He says this, Systematic theology seeks to set forth no longer in the order of time when it was revealed, but in the order of logical relations, the grand sum total of what God has told us in his word. That's, that's one of the goals we're trying to do. We want to find out everything that God has to say about the topics that we're going to discuss. Herman, Herman Bavink, he's a, he's a Dutch Calvinist, uh, turn of the last century, maybe a little bit before that. A theologian's sole responsibility is to think God's thoughts after him and to reproduce the unity that is objectively present in the thoughts of God and has been recorded for the eye of faith in Scripture. Okay, so we're, we're trying to think God, we're, we're trying to rehearse what God has said and put it together in, in, a, in a way that it makes sense. Wayne Grudem, he's of course quite well known, uh, probably one of the, probably the best known evangelical systematic theology that's there. He's actually at Phoenix Seminary, uh, currently was at Trinity for many years, but uh, uh, went to Phoenix, I think for the sake of his wife's health, but uh, continues to be a real force. He says this, the focus of systematic theology is the collection and the summary of the teaching of all the biblical passages on any particular subject. Okay, and so our particular subject that we're eventually going to get here to after we get through the introduction is what the Bible has to say about itself, Scripture. Now remember we said there were two aspects of our definition of systematic theology. Uh, so not only collecting all the data that the Bible has, but also now creating a biblical worldview that speaks into all of life. Okay? So that's the second thing we want to do. Since there's but one system that incorporates all truth, and it's God's system, all truth must relate to God, to his word, to his decree. Everything we know can be related to God, his providence, his grace, for meaning and validity. Nothing escapes the realm of Systematic theology speaks to everything. It does not give us truth in all of its particularity, but it does speak to everything. Okay, So there's a complex set of functions that the systematic theology. It has a teaching function, a didactic function, to collect and synthesize what God has said. It's got an apologetic function. That is, it's going to explain why the world works. Okay? in every thought, every discipline, every enterprise, why does the world work? And the answer ultimately is because God is. It is its ethical function is to inform us how we're supposed to live. So 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 hopefully it, by the end of the day, uh, end of the course here it's not just that we'll have you know accumulated facts in our heads, but we're going to actually know what to do with those facts. Okay, right? And it's got an evangelistic function as well to confront unregenerate worldviews and explain why they're wrong. Okay? So once once we are once we are very conversant with what the Bible has to say, we want to confront alternative worldviews that don't start with God and don't start with the truth of Scripture. Okay, so we, we want to do that with a with a view to refuting error. Now it's you know it's interesting when you look at the uh, uh, the requirements for a pastor. What are what are the skills that you have to have? Most most of those most of those things on that list are character quality. You have to be hospitable and, and, and you know, with above reproach. So a lot, a lot of them are character is, issues. What are the skills? So able to teach. Okay, there's one. You have to be able to teach. So not only I mean, it, it's interesting that you look at the list of for deacons, they have to hold fast to the truth, but it doesn't say they have to be able to teach it. So the, the skill at teaching is not required to be a deacon, but it is to be an elder, right? You have to be skilled at teaching. What's the other one? Shepherding. 
Okay. Lead their household well. Okay, so it does involve something of a skill. There's one in Titus. Yeah. To be able to refute error. I think the uh, the the troopers says refute the gainsayers or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So be able, able to refute those who object. I believe. Yes. Yeah. So 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 if if you want to be a an elder, a leader in the church in that way, there seems to be a requirement that not only do you have to know the information, but you have to be able to teach the information. And when somebody wants to teach something else, you know how to answer them. Okay, so that's again that's that's those are the goals that we're trying to come together to accomplish here when we do systematic theology. It's not just to fill your heads with information. I just think of that passage talking to Titus. It also says that they're supposed to be blameless. Right. That's the ethical part of it. Yeah. Right. That's the character part, which most of them all are character. Right. All of them in Timothy are character, except for except for aptitudes. Except aptitudes. All the rest of them are character. So the emphasis is really on character, primarily. Right. Right. And so we've got some some people that I think reflect this. Uh, aim of systematic theology. A.H. Strong, Augustus Hopkins Strong, Baptist theologian from the late 19th, early 20th century. The aim of theology is the ascertainment of the facts respecting God and the relationships between God and the universe, and the exhibition of these facts in their rational unity as parts of a formulated and organic system of truth. So trying to explain how it fits in with everything. Carl Henry, one of the uh, leading lights of the new evangelicalism back in the 40s and the 50s. Actually, he didn't. He just died here not a few, just a few years ago. Lived over in uh, Wisconsin, but uh, ceased to be a, a major player decades ago, but uh, his his uh, statement here, the proper task of theology is to exposit and elucidate the content of scripture in an orderly way and by presenting its teaching as an orderly whole to commend and reinforce the worship and service of God. So we're, we're not just trying to again, pull together everything that the Bible says, but actually accomplish something with it. Okay? So that's those are the aims that we have here in systematic theology. Any questions up till this point? <laughs> now I was thinking of this thing about Deuteronomy 29-29. So there's, there's a couple of things going there, right? So mm-hmm. on the one hand, Deuteronomy is telling us that God has, has, uh, God has revealed certain things to us. So he wants us to know certain things, but some things he hasn't revealed. But there's also this problem of uh, interpretation, too. So mm-hmm. there's a limitation right there, right? I mean, right. in the sense of um, even though God, everything that God has revealed in Scripture is not always perfectly clear to us, right? So, I mean, I'm just thinking right. of a couple. This is talking more about this verse is talking. This verse talking more about the fact some things God has not just chosen not to reveal. Right now, what He has chosen to reveal, even that we talk about perspicuity. That is, it's generally clear. But some things, I was just teaching on First Corinthians, and I got to that phrase: women should wear a head covering because of the angels. And I basically said something like, "This is a difficult problem," which basically means I just don't know. <laughs> So it's not that God has revealed something there to us, right. but sometimes it's going to be very difficult to figure out exactly. We can we can come close maybe to figure out what that means, but we can't be sure necessarily. Right. Right. But here we're talking about in systematic. There's a lot that we can know, right, and right. be pretty and be assured of. Yeah, and, and the encouragement is to to not say I don't know too quickly. Yeah. And sometimes we do have to say, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but I think sometimes we say, I don't know too quickly without actually doing the, the careful thinking and researching and reading 
to find the answers. Because oftentimes the answers are there if you if you look hard enough. Did Ken say sometimes in the master plan for life that there's general information and then specific information? I don't know. I never took master plan for life, so, but I can't remember. Maybe I'm thinking of it in a different realm. There's general revelation, there's special revelation. Special. General and special. special. General and special. Yeah. So special. Yeah, we'll talk about that. That's coming up when we talk about Dr. Scripture. Yeah, so. Thinking about Job, where I think he said that even if he's convinced he's right, that if he goes before God, God will prove him wrong, you know, if if he is wrong. You know, that. Just showing to me anyway, it was just showing that God is just so far above us. Even then, even when we think we're right, we're wrong <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Okay, page eight. Then sources of theology. We're going much too slowly here, <laughs> but, but what what I have here. Well, let's just go in order here. While the Bible, as we're going to see, and hopefully all realize, is the only proper and authoritative source for systematic theology, it doesn't mean that when we do systematic theology, anybody comes to the task with an absolutely pure commitment to the the truths of Scripture. We all come to this task <clears throat> with with pre-understandings, with 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 presuppositions, with ideas that have been embedded in our heads for years, for decades. Some of them are right, some of them are wrong. Okay, uh, but but we we all will tend at times. To say, now maybe you wouldn't say this aloud, but we'll but perhaps we'll think as you you read a verse and you'll say, yeah, that that can't be right. <laughs> and there's a number of reasons why that's true. And and what we have here is what is called, sometimes called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Okay, it's something. It's not that Wesley thought that these were the the four. Sources of systematic theology, but he, but he, he comes up with this idea of the way people think. Okay, so when you go to do systematic <laughs> theology, you're going to find that you're going to be tugged by forces other than the Bible to come up with conclusions other than what the Bible says. Okay, and there are four areas here that are listed. Okay, these are norms. These are things that try to say. No, the scripture can't mean that. It has to mean something else. Okay, what are those things? Well, I have three listed here. Uh, the first being experience. Uh, I think particularly in, in this case of, of those who tend to have a very existential or experience-based view of religion, perhaps uh, uh, charismatic or Pentecostal approaches, that would say, you know, what Paul says about speaking in tongues can't be true because I've actually experienced something else. Okay? And you talk to people, right? That You bring out the Bible and it says, the Bible says this. And they'll say, well, no. <laughs> I was at church and this happened. And the answer is, okay. Okay, so something happened here. I won't deny that something happened. But I can suggest that you didn't understand it correctly. Okay? Uh, but but there but there's certain kinds of people that tend to have experience tug them away from what the Bible says. There's another here that's tradition. Tradition. Now this can be formal tradition or it can be just informal tradition. Okay? This is what the church teaches. This is what our church teaches, and so it's right. Well, it doesn't really matter what the scriptures say. This is what our church teaches. You ever had that conversation? Uh, just talking to somebody today who's, who's, who's witnessing to a to a, a, a girl in the Roman Catholic Church, and, and and her answer is, well, that's not what the 
church teaching. You're, you're teaching something from the opposite of what the church teaches. And, and no, no, no. It's what the Bible says. I don't care. That's not what the church teaches. You know, and you and you come across people like that who 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 just have a wall who can't do systematic theology from the standpoint of the scripture because of tradition. The other is reason. Okay, they'll say that just doesn't make sense. Okay, you know, I, I mean, think about it. If someone came up to you, you see a, a young lady who was expecting, he was with a child, she's pregnant. And you ask, no, I didn't, I didn't, I, didn't, I had no idea. Um, who, who, I didn't even know you were married. Well, she says, I'm, I'm not married. I, this is, this is a virgin birth. <laughs> what, would, what would you think? Um, that, that doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You're lying. And, you know, probably there were a bunch of people that Mary talked to mm-hmm. yeah. in the beginning of the gospel accounts, right? Mary, Mary. Yeah, you know, no, Joseph is not <laughs> his dad. <laughs> there, there is no dad here. You know, this is this is what is conceived in me is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and I'm sure the response was, "Yeah, yeah. right, <laughs> okay." And there's a lot of things, particularly when we talk about the supernatural that occurs in Scripture, that people will say, "No." Can't be. Nobody can be in a whale three days. Just can't happen. Right, right. And so, and you can the list can go on and on and on. And so, these these are barriers then to people accepting what the Bible has to say. And and and, and my point in doing all this is 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 this: you all have a proclivity to to be tugged one of those directions. Now, you might not all be tugged mm-hmm. the same way, but you all have one of these one of these tendencies to say, I'm not sure that's what the Bible... I, I, I don't think the Bible can mean that because... And you can fill in the, fill in the bags. Fill in the blanks. So so think about those approaches and you know search yourself to find out what, what's going to prevent me or, or, or at least inhibit me from doing systematic theology successful. And it's usually one of those three or some variation thereof. Okay, so that's that's the point. But hopefully, uh, we, we all go in here with the intention, at least, of saying that the Scripture is the norm. The Scripture explains our experiences. The Scriptures determine what is reasonable. The Scriptures are the are the uh, the source that stands behind the traditions. And if the traditions don't correspond with the Scriptures, then we have to rewrite the tradition. Right. So, so this visual is sort of, I would say, incorrect because, I mean, when I look at this, it's like it's equating right. those four. Right, and that, that's why I tried to say it up front. He's, he's not saying that this is the way it ought to be. It's just the way it is, that that people are tugged in different directions. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I should make that very clear. He's not saying I was that clear on that, but it's just the way it right. Because I was like, scripture should be in the middle, and you're being pulled in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, right. but not for, not the way he's talking. Because right. scripture is just one of the sources that you're being tugged. Right. So it, these other are just as just as important. That's in the point. They're, they're as, as, theology. Yeah. as far right. as influencing you, yeah. these others are just as <clears throat> important as scripture. They shouldn't be, but they are. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and depending on your personality yeah. and your history. You, you could be a you know you could be a very an existential kind of person. I, I think we tend to see that more in women, but it's not only it's not restricted to women. Don't speak here. too loud. Okay. <laughs> where where I think the reason the reason I think tends to speak more to men, I, I think. But uh, it's it's not like that's a universal thing. You can't make a, absolute generalizations well, there. Could you know like experience? You could mm-hmm. see a lot of that within. Kenny's upbringing, you know, the charismatic, charismatic, and tradition. You see a lot of that in Roman Catholic and all that. Mm-hmm. Right. Different people pulled stronger in different way. Yeah. So, for instance, tradition. You think of Roman Catholicism. I mean, it's got a very robust tradition. It's true also of Reformed theology as well, but probably not to a greater degree. 
but Roman Catholicism, of course, if you come from a Roman Catholic background, that tradition is is probably runs thick and strong in your blood. Yeah, born in various ethnic groups would really pull you different directions. Right. Yes. 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 You're right. I mean, there, there's another thing that that that, that mm-hmm. sometimes comparative religions or 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 ethnic expressions of religions can be hard to set aside. Mm-hmm. You're right. Think, I was thinking of, um, I'm, sh- I'm sure also your culture, the the time, the time when you're living has a big influence to us. Thinking of the discussions of um, what's called genocide in the Old Testament, how it, how it's explained now, mm-hmm. as how it might have been explained 100 years ago, is really influenced I think by our culture. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that happened in the Old Testament that you say, really. That that happened, and God was overseeing it. I'm I'm not sure I buy that. Hopefully, you don't say that. But you know, the thought can fleetingly go through your head. And if you're not committed and grounded in the absolute centrality and and normativity of the Christian scriptures, that can be that can be a, a real distraction, right? Okay. So I, I, how long do we go here? Not ten minutes. Another ten minutes. Okay, another fifteen. Well, I, I listed here, you know, some other. So I, I sort of expand what we have with the, this introduction here. We're talking about competing sources of theology, and again, these are not necessarily bad things. All of them. Some some of them are worse than others. Um, and and I and I want to make sure we we recognize that the other sources of theology may be valid, but they're never independent. If I can put it that way. In other words, science can inform at times how we think about a Bible verse, okay, and 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 and, and nature. Uh, at the same time, we always want to recognize that the scriptures tell us when we've done science correctly okay so so the the bible is still always the norming norm okay it's the one that tells us whether our science was done correctly but sometimes there's some some things that occur in science that can inform our reading as well you know for instance we we read that uh that the sun rises and sets okay and and you would say, well, wait a minute. Yeah, we've, we've pretty much proved that wrong, right? The sun doesn't rise, the sun doesn't set. The, the earth rotates, right? Okay, so the Bible must be wrong on that. Well, no. Okay, it's not wrong. It's the language of appearance. We still use it, right? Mm-hmm. We still, even, even though we, we, even though we are all quite aware of the fact that the sun doesn't <laughs> rise and set, we still use the language because it, because it appears that way. Okay, so, so, so science can inform perhaps our understanding of that verse, perhaps give some detail to it uh, that are, isn't necessarily contained in the words, uh, but it, it doesn't actually norm what the Bible says. Okay, but let's 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 do this uh, uh, systematically here. So, nature and science. What do we do with science? While there's revelation from God in natural creation, this is. Abundantly clear in Scripture, the heavens declare the glory of God. The work of His hands uh, is such that uh, we we learn things about Him. Well, we we uh, Romans one speaks of the fact that from the creation of the world, we know certain things about God, including His His power and His eternal nature, so that we're without excuse. Okay, He goes on to say that written on the table of our hearts is knowledge of right and wrong such that we know what's right and wrong yet we do the opposite we do the wrong thing deliberately so there's something in natural creation and in our consciences that reveals something of god's person and his character but this revelation is insufficient in constructing a distinct or independent natural theology in other words we can't learn all that we need to know about God from 
nature itself. There is no gospel in the stars. Okay? It just isn't there. Okay, uh, you you can't know enough about God and sin and man and such the work of Christ from nature so as to be rightly related to God. There is no complete natural system of theology. Now, whatever nature tells us is true, but there are several factors that make it a deficient source of systematic theology. Nature should not be regarded as the 67th book of the Bible. There's a there's a <laughs> fellow by the name of Hugh Ross who has sort of made a made a living on this this idea that nature is the 67th book of the Bible, and if nature tells us something different from uh, what the Bible says, then it's got as much authority as what the Bible says. Now, that's not true. Why is nature a, an insuff- insufficient for a system of theology? Well, first of all, what creation tells us is not propositional. It doesn't doesn't tell us in words. Demonstrates something about God, tells us perhaps something about his character, he cares about us, he's powerful, things of of that nature, but it doesn't properly tell us anything. In fact, that's exactly what Psalm 19.3 says. There is no speech, there is no language, their voice is not heard. That's, That's important. And while what is declared of God in nature can be rendered propositional, God is glorious, it's not as though the animals say that in so many words, or the trees. We have to interpret what nature says according to our worldview. So this is unlike the special revelation of Scripture, which by the miracle of inspiration is unmediated. It's, 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 it is God's words, and they're very specific. Tell us very specific propositional things about God. So there's a great difference there. The word of God then also serves as a commentary on nature. Apart from the word of God, man instinctively exchanges nature's truth for a lie. Right? That's what Romans 1 says. We, we, we mentioned here that uh, uh, from the creation of the world... Uh, The eternal power and nature of God are clearly seen so that they're without excuse. But so, So why don't people respond properly? Well, because, verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So these animals and birds and reptiles, which should be effective pointers to the nature and character of God, actually come to replace God. We worship the creature rather than the creator. Okay, right? And so so there's a tendency among all unbelievers to look at nature and come to the come to the wrong conclusions about God. But that's because of their depravity, right? Right. Yeah, it should. Yeah, Romans, you know, Psalm nineteen, for instance, the heavens declare the glory of God, and so on and so forth, and it just sort of segues in verse seven of the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, and we all break out more to be desired. <laughs> right. It, that should be a, a natural segue. We we look at what nature tells us. We look at the Bible and we say, oh, okay, there it is. There it is. There's, there's correspondence between the two. They're saying the same things in so many words. But because of depravity, we don't, we don't make that connection and we exchange that truth for what I say we, mankind, exchange that truth for a lie, depraved man. <clears throat> Number three here, nature is also incomplete in terms of of what it tells us. We can't look at the trees and the animals and be aware that we need to trust Jesus in order to be saved. At best, we can look at them and say that creation is glorious, has a very powerful, good, and holy God as its creator, and deduce therefrom that we're not like him. So the function then of natural revelation condemns us. It renders us without excuse, but doesn't give us any information about how we can solve our problem. So it's incomplete. And then finally, 
Once a person has embraced the Christian God and has established a relationship with him, nature can supplement and illustrate what we know about God through Scripture. So hopefully, you know, I don't know if any of you guys are hunters here. You like to go outside on a, on a, on a, on a, on a brisk morning and you sit out there and in some senses you don't really care whether the deer walks past. <clears throat> Because you are enjoying what God has given to you, and you're reveling in what He has given to you, and, and, and hopefully think those. That I think those things. And I don't know if everybody does, but maybe you're just saying I'm cold. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> this guy doesn't understand what I'm talking about here. But, <laughs> I understand but, the cold part. <laughs> but uh, so, so for for a for a, a believer. Nature is is filled with uh, wonderful things to learn about God. But the only reason we learn things about God when we walk outside is because we know Him already. Okay, we recognize God in creation because we know Him. This instinctive recognition is much different uh, from the, uh, the construction of God by unbelievers who don't know God. So they're trying to create a God or craft out a God from what they see, they always craft out the wrong kind of God, a God that does not correspond with what the Bible has to say. Okay? So we've gone through the first of these uh, of these sources of theology that I think are valuable. It's not as though nature is useless. Uh, J. Gresham Machen used to say that uh, uh, the, these evidences and these uh, uh the beauties of nature help God's little ones. Okay, they take they take a, they take the uh, what we know about God and and make it vivid and real and clear and and illustrate it for us. And and it can bring the believer closer to God, but they cannot of themselves take a person who hates God. And make him love God. It just can't happen. That that's beyond the power of nature and science to do. Okay. And nature's also fallen. Is that? Yeah, that's true. You know, nature nature gives us an occluded picture of what God is like. Exactly. So, for instance, you know, a, a beautiful ocean can you know can develop a tsunami that comes and swallows up thousands of people. And, and and that can give us perhaps an occluded picture of what God is like. Well, why did why did that happen? Well, ultimately, in ultimate terms, because of sin, not because of a specific sin that somebody committed, but but in ultimate terms, uh, the the way the reason that nature becomes violent is because of because of sin. So yes, you're right. Nature doesn't always give us a clean and crisp picture of God uh, the way it might in a non-fallen world. Because I've seen people try to justify yes. human relationships because articles like we've seen this in animals, mm. which is probably an aberration yeah. as well. But. Right. Well, yeah. <clears throat> Good thoughts. Okay. We're going to need to accelerate. <laughs> when, we, when we come together next time here. But uh, uh, hopefully we're getting something out of this. But uh, That's good. <laughs> yeah, I think I calculated five pages per time. Right. And and honestly, these first 25 pages, I wanted to go faster in. Yeah. So, so, yeah. We, the problem is you spent too much time thinking about prolegomena. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah. That's what you've done. You, know, it's, you spent a lot of time thinking could about Could be. Yeah, could be. We might have to. We might. We might cut out a few of these things. But I think these. This. This. This section right here. I think is particularly helpful because. Because it. These are the. These are the reasons we don't do theology yeah. well. Yeah. And some of the threats to it. So. So yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, we'll see you next time. We'll have a. We'll have a quiz prepared <coughs> next time. And. Uh, Maybe make it easier. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of something that. Uh, 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 J.R. Tolkien was writing a letter to uh, C.S. Lewis. And he said, I'm, I'm writing you a very long letter because I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> yeah. I gave you a very hard quiz because I didn't have time to put together an easy one. <laughs> Somebody said that about, I was reading a thing about a sermon. Some guy said, uh, uh, the, this, the hardest sermons 
to write a shorter one. So yes. You can write a long one easy, and then <laughs> to try to make it shorter is more difficult. Right, right. Which is so true in so many guys. So, <laughs> so that was, what, six through nine tonight? Yeah. yeah. So... How I just you, always noticed the last ten minutes of the sermon has way more information than the beginning. Yes. <laughs> How do you approach a Roman Catholic, though? Because Kim's speaking a lot with our neighbor. If they equate church teaching with scripture, because apostolic, they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> to attack that is like someone attacking scripture to them. I would think. Right. So how do you... It's hard to use scripture because they say that the only valid interpretation is the church's intelligence. So, yeah, like, so, you know, Cheryl next door will talk, you know, a lot of the tradition and what the church teaches. Right. Well, if if you... You can't just say, you blithering idiot, that's wrong. Right. It doesn't work. Well, I think that probably the, the key is, is to get them to the point where they say, the Bible is true in all that it affirms. And it's always right. <clears throat> Just keep pointing them back to that. Don't speak to the church at all. Well, I mean, sometimes you have to. You do have to point out because they're going to bring them up yeah. things where the where the where the church disagrees with what the Bible says. But I think ultimately, if you can't if you can't get that that you know that premise down that the Bible is God's word and and what it says is right. No matter what, then I think that begins to wear on on uh, on on the uh, their their understanding of what the church is teaching. Uh, you, you've get, you've got you've, God's got to convince them that the Bible is true. You've got to show them something in Scripture, right? And even if that conflicts with what they, if it conflicts with what the church is teaching, it still has a tremendous effect because. Mm-hmm. Right. That creates a conflict in their own mind. Well, how can Scripture say this in my church? The tendency is, you know, God can use Scripture. Right. So that's the... But if you just sit around arguing about it and debating yeah. about getting actually to look at Scripture, you're not going to get too much because right. just, you're just debating. Because you know? I know my grandpa would always just, yeah. let me see your Bible. Take the Catholic... And the Catholic Bible's basic. Yeah, see. sure. He always said, if you just ignore the notes. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, we'll see you next week. Same place, same time.